Okay, I'm going to leave my mask on this morning, at least for a bit, because I'm going to ask for a volunteer to help me out, okay? So just be ready, because I might pick on one of you, okay? So not, don't get nervous, but anyways, it'll be good. So um, in our Sabbath school class, we don't go over a quarterly or a pre-programmed way to do things. We actually meet as a group once a week every Tuesday and say, okay, we, we actually kind of work up every week and, and come up with our custom classes because we're like, you know, we want to talk about things that are relevant, that are practical, and that we really find will resonate with our class members. And sometimes that's not always easily found in a, in a book. It's definitely the harder path, but it's been a real blessing. And um, a few months ago, I was going to teach, and I wanted to talk about... Um, some fundamental Adventist doctrines, but maybe in a, in a way that we hadn't talked about them before. And I wanted to ask um, kind of three basic questions in the study of any of these topics. Um, and that is, so what? So what? Why does this make a difference? The next one was like, oh, why does it matter? Like, why does it really matter? Because we say, oh, we believe in the, let's say, a particular viewpoint of the state of the dead. Okay, why does that really matter? And then, does it make a difference in my practical experience? So, so what? Why does it matter, like really matter? And does it make a difference in my own personal life? And then, um, hopefully, by the end of that study, we would, we would really come up and really have dug deep into any particular, you know, belief that we were studying at that point. And so we decided to, um, I decided to go over the Sabbath, and I feel like it's really appropriate because obviously this is the Sabbath morning devotional. So um, it's like, oh, the Sabbath, I've heard about the Sabbath, you know, what different could I know about the Sabbath? Maybe you already have had these thoughts, but I want to share kind of what we got from our study, and maybe it will make a practical difference for you. So, starting off, um, I need a volunteer. Anyone, it doesn't matter if you'll just raise your hand, or I'll call on you. Isaac, why don't you come up here? I know you. So, the analogy that I want to start with this morning is the idea of a cornerstone. Who, who here knows what a cornerstone is? From a, Okay. Either of the learneds, it doesn't matter. What's a cornerstone? The, the main stone that's at the corner of a building that gives the support. It's a very you know, important stone. So let's corner. So a, a lot of obviously, you know, in the United States we build a lot out of wood. So obviously we don't do ton of cornerstone. This is more of a probably something like in Mexico or South America or other countries that do a lot more masonry work. Um, but. She's right. The idea is that it's the first stone laid in a foundation. And that does two things. So Isaac's going to be my cornerstone this morning. Okay, so Isaac, what I want you to do is I want you to hold your hand out like this. I want you to hold your hand out like this, like at a 90 degree angle, because you're in the corner, right? You're in the corner. So, So Isaac's here at the corner of the building and structure that's going to be built. I have a 90 degree, well, maybe a little more like this, Isaac. Oh, there we go. Okay, 90 degrees this way. So I know how this wall is going to line up. And 90 degrees this way, because I know how this wall is going to line up. So it sets my orientation as far as north, south, west. Also, Isaac, let's say I'm a wall here. Isaac, this is, I'm leaning up against Isaac here on this wall because, you know, so I don't fall over because 
then that wall comes and intersects on Isaac over here. So it gives me a reference point for the building, and it's also where the walls will intersect each other. And so the greatest pressure is on the corner, and obviously, since he's the bottom stone, he bears the the weight of the entire structure and bears the weight of two intersecting walls also giving orientation to the building because if this wall here is 90 if this is 90 degrees off of this wall then it will determine not necessarily where this wall comes in but the reference point of these two walls to each other because they have to intersect with the walls that Isaac's connecting with thanks Isaac that that's what I wanted you for a visual there right so I want us to think here, and I'll just read this again. First, stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation, which all other stones will be set in reference to, thus determining the position of the entire structure. So, number one, a cornerstone is a reference point. Number two, a cornerstone bears the intersection of two walls, and a cornerstone bears the weight of the stones on top of it, since it's the foundation stone. And I want to give you the analogy to think of the cornerstone, the Sabbath, as the cornerstone in many ways of life and of the Christian experience. So, number one, it gives us a reference point. Um, The Sabbath reminds us of the three fundamental questions of life. And that is, who am I? Why am I here? And what's the purpose? So how does it do that? So who am I? I am a child of God. Why am I here to be in a loving relationship with God and with others? And what's the purpose? The purpose is to continually grow in a knowledge of God and in a relationship with Him and others. And the Sabbath answers all three of those questions. And we learn that in the creation story. So obviously that's really important. But the other important thing, and this is really what we delve down to in Sabbath school, is that it reminds us who is our creator and who is our sustainer. So think about this for a minute. Um, Adam and Eve, they're created not on the first or second or third day, but on the last day of the week, right? And so God comes to them, and, he, and he's like, all this work's been done that they haven't had any part in, right? And God comes to Adam and Eve and basically says, okay, let's rest, right? And Adam and Eve's like, rest from what? We just got here. And he's like, exactly. You're to rest in the work that I've done for you. Okay, so the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a commemoration of the work that God has done, had done for them. So the Sabbath isn't about what you do for God, it's about what God has done for you. And, and, And this is really interesting because, and I'll just read these other things here, don't work is basically what he's saying, don't work because I have. And I've thought it interesting because in many ways, the Sabbath is the only commandment of the ten that specifically addresses what righteousness by faith is actually at, right? The idea of God has done a work, our job is to rest in the work that he has done. 
So in keeping the Sabbath, where is the weight of the responsibility? Does it lie on humanity? Or is basically God saying, no, it lies on me? And the Sabbath is a, re- a, a weekly reminder of the rest that we are to rest in what God has done for us. So the, the weight is on God. We're to enter into that rest, which it's interesting because people are like, oh, Adventists, they keep the Sabbath. It's very, you know, that's legalistic or whatnot. And it's like, wait a minute. It's the only one in the 10 that actually is the most unlegalistic one because God's saying, enter into my rest, right? So I just want to go over this just to un- underscore this idea. If you have your Bibles, you can turn here. If not, I'm going to read it out anyways. But Exodus 20, 8 through 11, right? So we know this one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, so on, so on, so on. You know, all the... <laughs> but the last part, verse 11, right? It says, what's the reason, right? He's referencing creation. Four and six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Basically, you rest... Because I worked. You see the connection there? You rest because I worked. And it's interesting because we see this follow through all the other Sabbath commandments as well. So Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 goes through that whole sequence again about who should rest and all these types of things. But the reason given is different. It says, and remember that thou wast a servant or worker in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out, stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath. And so this is my, this is kind of my maybe, uh, imagination here, but think of it this way. So God's saying, simplistic way. I'm, this is Alan's, uh, version. Um, hey, remember when you were stuck in Egypt? Yeah, okay, so you remember. Could you fix the problem you found yourself in? No. Could you do anything to get yourself out of it? No. Whose work was it that delivered you? you yours? Okay, rest on the Sabbath to remember that it wasn't anything that you did, but what I did for you. Okay? So that's the whole tenor. I mean, there, there's several renditions. There's slavery, obviously creation, um, sanctification. Remember, the, keep the Sabbath, for I am the Lord God that sanctifies you. Where's the weight of the responsibility? It's on God. It's not on humanity, which is really interesting because it makes total sense why Christ would say, and the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, because he came to earth to do a work, and we're to rest in the work that he did for us. It makes complete sense, and it follows. It's one, one of the things that our, my family and us, we, we've talked about, and Aubrey's like, you know, it's like there's this golden thread that weaves itself through Scripture that once you get the concept of this, this God has done a work, rest in that work, you'll see it in all sorts of situations that you might have never seen it before. Try it out. Uh, I, don't take my word for it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at a few other places here. Um, let me see here. So I want to, uh, to, to kind of bring this out more because I, I feel like the Sabbath, yes, it's a day. It's a weekly reminder to remind us that don't rest in the work that you're doing. Rest in the work that I've done for you type of principle, right? I want to I bring up a really powerful thing that I uh, learned from Pastor Morris Vinden. Obviously, he's passed away now, but 
um, and I've added a little bit to it. I think I added one word, um, but you know, that's how it works. But the word, if you, if you have something to write this down, write this down because this is a really powerful thing and you can use it in so many places. I would, I would really recommend taking scriptures where these words are found and trying to switch them out with these other words and see if it might not make it a little bit more powerful. Okay. So you ready? So you can just, it's very simple. Just write trust equals faith equals belief equals rest. And then the circle circles back around any of these words, trust, faith, belief, and rest are completely interchangeable in scripture. And it, it brings it, it brings it out. So for instance, sometimes we hear the words belief or faith and it's like, okay, we hear them so often and it's like, what does that really mean? I mean, um, you know, I could say, um, just hear this way. Okay. I believe that God exists. Okay. I believe that a plant exists. Not a big deal. But if I was to change that word to say, I trust in God, that's a whole nother level. That takes it, that takes it up or how that just takes it down another, or I'm not sure which way, but you know, it, it, it does, it makes a difference. It makes a change. And so let's look here at a, at an analogy. Um, and, and this, this whole principle, here's another kind of, it's not talking about the Sabbath, but it's the same aspect of where's the weight of the responsibility. So Jesus in his talk with Nicodemus in John three, uh, three through 17, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and cannot tell where it comes from. And where it goes, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So obviously we have this birth analogy. So let me ask you, parents, obviously I haven't been a parent before, but parents, where is the weight of the responsibility of giving birth to a child? Is it on the parent or is it on the child? Okay, how many of you decided, I'm going to get born today? right? No, it's something that was acted upon you. It's something that you receive and happens to you. It's not something that you make happen to you. And then it's interesting because Jesus, uh, and then Nicodemus says, how can these things be, right? And Christ says to him, are you a teacher in Israel and do you not know these things? Which is really interesting because this is like Christ is saying, this is secondhand knowledge. The idea that God is the one that does the work and you're to rest in the work that he's done for you is not a new idea. It happened before sin. This is a principle that's been set up before sin. Quite honestly, this is what Eve forgot when she ate of the fruit. Okay? That God is someone worth trusting in and allowing him to bear the weight. You don't have to try to make yourself God's 
right? The temptation. And God is someone worth trusting. He's someone that's worth letting bear that responsibility that humanity can't bear. But when humanity tries to take on that responsibility, it crushes them. And it's totally true because in the, when we believe that it's our responsibility to work the works of righteousness in our own lives, and that that is something that, that we're, and that it's not something that we're supposed to just that we're supposed to trust God to work upon us, when we take upon ourselves that weight of our own salvation, it crushes us. And it's, it's so true. But I'm going to turn the page. Oops, nope, it's over here. So then Christ gives this example. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If, you, if I have told you earthly things and you, you do not believe... How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly thing? No one has ascended up into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And then he's like, he's trying to like, okay, you don't believe? Like, how am I going to explain this, right? And he says, then he gives the analogy, another analogy corresponding to this weighted relationship, right? And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him, and we could change out that word, Trust, faith, belief, it works. Rest, right, in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, trust, rest, have faith in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, who, where is the weight of the responsibility? It's on God might be saved. And it's interesting. He references the serpent in the wilderness. And here's, here are the children of Israel, right? They're grumbling against God. Oh, we're out here in this wilderness. Why are we here? Like we do often. The cares and perplexities of life, like Mrs. White says in Steps to Christ. The cares and perplexities, uh, the pleasures of the world, life's cares, perplexities, and sorrows, the faults of others, or your own faults and imperfections, to any and all of these, the devil will seek to divert our attention. But we must not be misled by his devices. The job of humanity is to enter into that rest. That's the work. Like Paul said, let us labor to enter into that rest. He uses the analogy of the children of Israel trying to go into the promised land. And they're all like, we can't go in. We can't go in. And Joshua and Caleb are like, we can go in because the Lord has given it to us. Quite honestly, they couldn't go in in their own strength. But it was them, if they would have rested in God... They could have gone in. It's the whole principle there. But it's interesting, going back to the serpent, right? And the idea here is that they're bitten by these snakes because they're grumbling. God's like, look, I'm going to remove my protection, and you'll see, you'll see how bad this place is. And they start getting bitten, and basically God, basically uh, what happens is, is that, you know, Moses puts the serpent up on the, on the pole, and what are they supposed to do? Are they trying to, like, fix their bites? No, they're supposed to take the focus on their bites that they have, and they're supposed to look at the pole. And in looking and trusting and resting in God's providence, the bites were healed. And in sometimes in our own lives, there's sins that beset us, and there's addictions that we deal with. But we're not to focus on them. We're to focus on a relationship and building that trust in Christ because the reason that we're bit by the serpents is because we've taken our eyes off of our leader, off of our Christ, where we're supposed to rest in our hope for life. So I want to give 
a two-part analogy based on the life of David where I feel like this is really exemplified in a practical way. There are two there, there are two stories of fleeing, okay? One, the first story of David and fleeing is in, um, let me get this right, is in 1 Samuel 21, where, you know, uh, he meets up with Jonathan, and Jonathan's shooting up these arrows, and basically if he shoots the arrow a certain way, it's to say that everything's okay, and if he shoots the arrow uh, in another way, David's supposed to flee because his dad's really angry. And so, obviously, his dad's really, Saul's really angry, and David flees. And he just, he's like terrified, right? And so, he goes and he flees to, um, he flees to uh, the, the priest at, at Nob, right? And he, he goes there, right? And he's like, um... I'm, he starts lying. You know, it's interesting. When we lose faith in our focus on Christ, great example, all sorts of things start coming out, you know? So first he starts lying and the priest is like, what's, what's wrong? And he's like, well, you know, I have a secret errand for the king and uh, I need some bread, which he wasn't supposed to have because it was only for the priest. I need some bread and I need a weapon. And the, the priest says, well, we have the bread, uh, you know, the, the, the bread we have on the altars here. And uh, I have Goliath's sword that you killed. And it's interesting because David gets the sword in his hand. And he says, there is no weapon like this. Which it's like, man, this, this weapon is what, I mean, you killed someone with the strength of the Lord. And now you're like, there's nothing better than this. It's like, serve Goliath well. Um, not really. And then, and then guess what he does? He takes that weapon because he gets freaked out there because of the, the shepherd, uh, the, one of Saul's shepherds sees him and he, and, and where does he go? He flees to the enemies of Israel. Not only the enemies of Israel, but he flees to the exact city of the guy that he killed, right? And then he, then he gets there and he's like, oh, oh boy, uh, this was a bad idea. And he starts banging his head against the wall like a crazy man, right? And it's like, that is just like, so me, Lord, right? I mean, when, when we lose focus on our, on our provider, our protector, when we, when we fall out of rest with our creator, craziness happens. And, you know, I just want to, obviously, we've all come into situations where we've met people that are really beset by sins and there's, their life is falling apart and it's just like, they're addicted to this and that and they have these problems and that problems. And it's really easy to be like, judgmental, like, wow, they've made really bad decisions and they're in a bad place and, you know, they really should get their act together. But the reality of this is that anyone who is outside of that rest with Christ, craziness happens. Craziness happens in that sin, sin in its essence is falling out of rest with God. Fundamentally, that's where the problem lies. And so, instead of focusing on the problems, the idea is to get back into that rest as quickly and as fast as possible. Now, the second story, and we'll close with this, is in 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 12. And it's another fleeing story. But at this point, David has had a completely different experience. He's lived a long life. He's made some fairly major mistakes. And his trust is not in himself anymore, but his trust is in God. And... Unfortunately, because of some of his mistakes, he's brought this situation about on himself, right? He, he had the whole situation with Bathsheba. Obviously, he didn't feel like he could discipline his son. And now one of his sons has revolted against him. And he's like, look, 
I don't want to see blood be shed in Israel, in Jerusalem, so I'm going to flee. And as he's fleeing, this Benjamite comes out and starts yelling at him and says, you bloody man, you bloody man, God has brought upon you and upon your head all the blood of the house of Saul because, you know, you, you took over the kingdom. And, and he's just railing and ranting and because, you know, David's in a weak spot. He's fleeing. And one of David's mighty men comes up to David, right, and says, let me go just take this guy's head off for you. And David says, no, the Lord has bidden him to curse David. And he says, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will look upon my affliction and remember me. And um, if you have studied any history, whether it's the English kings or any other rulers within history, this stands out as an incredibly unimaginable situation. If you're a ruler, at this point, heads are rolling all over the place. But not in David's situation, because his trust is not in himself, his trust is in God. He says, if the Lord wills, he will bring me back to this place. But if not, so be it. His trust is not in himself, his trust is in God. And even when the whole Absalom affair is over, he doesn't put himself back into power. He says, because the revolt had been too complete in Israel, he waited for an invitation for the people to bring him back. I mean, this is completely foreign to political... uh, There's a a podcast that I have enjoyed listening to in the past called History of England. I mean, these... hundreds and thousands of people's heads would be rolling at this point. And here David is saying, if the Lord wills to bring me back, bring me back. But if not, I'm okay with that. He's entered into that rest. And remember, the Sabbath is a symbol, a weekly reminder to enter into that rest. So my, my, my challenge for each of us here, I know, I know a lot of us, and I've, I've, I've heard this spoken of. It's like, oh, I need to move to the country. I need to do this. I need to do that. Actually, a few months ago, I was talking with a lady helping her with some soil fertility things. And she's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like how the, Lord, the, the world's looking. And, uh, you know, things are getting out of control. And, you know, I just need to grow my own food. And she was stressed. And it's just like, you know, the, the whole point of, of coming into contact with the garden the whole point of doing this agriculture is that we come, we, it's a work where we come in contact with the power outside of ourselves that provides for our very substance. It's, we have our part to plant the seed, but we don't produce the sun. We don't call the rain. We don't summon the power within the seed to produce the life. Everything that a farmer does is in connection and trusting that what God has put into place will fulfill itself. The rest is not on you. The rest is on God to produce the crop. Ultimately speaking, man has a very, very small participation in this whole thing. And my challenge is is that we live in crazy times. Yes, but remember right before the children of Israel go into the promised land, the call of Christ to be able to go into the heavenly Canaan is to enter into my rest labor to rest in the providence of God for you. It's not your work. It's what God's done for you. Enter into that rest. And so when we say happy Sabbath, right? What we're really saying is happy rest. Just feel the rest that God wants you to have today. The world is crazy, no doubt. But God has done a work. 
And my challenge to myself and my challenge for you is to labor. It's a dichotomy because we have to work at it. It's not natural for us. Labor to enter into that rest. And so today as you go around, I just keep in mind that the point of this whole event, the point of of Adagra, is to enter into the rest that God's provided for us from the foundation of the world. So um, enjoy your breakfast. That's my message. And I guess I should pray. Sorry. (laughs) Dear Lord, thank you for taking on the weight of the world in our behalf. Thank you for sending your son to remind us that the work of God for us is to trust in him who he has sent. May we embrace this in our hearts. May the rest come in and may we experience it and may your arms surround us in that way today, in a special way that we remember who we are, why we're here, and why it matters. In your name we ask, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.